like I said, we're in part two of our series, All the Family Feels, and I've observed something, not just in my time as being a husband and a father, but thinking back over the years of, of being a son and a grandson, just being in families, understanding family dynamics, working a lot with families just through what I do here at the church. And, and we always, I shouldn't say always, we would like to think we always have good intentions with our families, but things get off track with our families. And it's interesting, and you've heard this, this phrase before, that we hurt the people closest to us, right? And, and that's not always intentional. We're not aiming for them, but, but something happens. There's something about that dynamic with the people that are closest to us, people that we would call family, that they end up being the ones that sometimes get the worst of us. And so when I think through that, here's how... I think that actually plays out. And here's why I think that plays out. Because something happens over time with our families all the way to the top. There we go. So you start out in your families or with the people closest to you, newlyweds, you're a new parent, and things are amazing aren't they, for the most part? Like, this is great, we love each other, we like each other, we're best friends, we're gonna spend every day together, I can't imagine my life without you, oh, we're gonna grow old together, but you're gonna be beautiful the whole time, it's wonderful. And what tends to happen is early on in our families, whatever that family dynamic is, the people closest to you, you live life without a lid, so to speak. And I was actually paying attention with you guys that are coffee and tea drinkers. I wanted to see, because there's two types of people. You got no lid people and then lid people. No lid people are like, I don't need a lid. What's the worst that can happen? I've got this, right? There's some confidence there, right? And then you have lid people that are like, oh no, I need two cups and three lids and a bib, please. So when we start out in our new family dynamics, oh, we're super careful because we have no lids and, and we're tiptoeing around and we're always wanting to say the right things and we're quick to, oh honey, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that. That's not what I meant, oh, come here, let's hug it out, 30 second hug out and we hug it out and life is good and there's a couple bumps along the road, oh, oh, I'm really sorry, I did not mean that, I apologize. Here, let me help clean that up, I'm so sorry. See, we're very careful early on, aren't we? But then something happens, it's called time. You add time to family, you add time to the equation, and where we started out super careful with just minor bumps along the way, where we just made a few mistakes, and maybe we made just a few messes, all of a sudden, we just don't care anymore, do we? Now, if I were to say, now, now let's get even a little bit more focused here. Let's talk, if this is representing our words, super careful with our words, super careful with our words, all of a sudden we go from careful with what we say to very careless. So the newlyweds in the room are, I would never say that to my spouse. <laughs> By year three, it's, oh yeah, <laughs> well bring it. It's go time. No, no, I will not do the dishes. You need to say please. We make a lot of messes, don't we? Things happen. We move from careful to careless if we're not being very careful. That's what happens when you live life with no lids, especially with our families. This morning we're going to be talking about specifically with our words. Now, if you were to take that same cup or... and our lives that are, of course, filled with words. We all have a lot of things we like to say. 
but what happens if we actually put a lid on it this time? Now keep in mind, you've probably heard that phrase, put a lid on it, not the same phrase here. Because this lid actually has a way of, things still come out of this lid, right? That's why it's actually, it's useful. But it doesn't make a mess as much. Now there's still bumps along the way, you still make a little bit of messes. Sorry front row guys. But what's interesting is, I'm still careful, but it's hard to be careless in this, isn't it? I can be a little bit more confident in what I say. I'm, I'm not making as many messes. I'm not getting burned along the way. I'm not causing as many problems. The lid doesn't keep everything in. It keeps some things in. It keeps the right things in and it lets the right things come out. See, it actually acts a little bit more like a filter. So with words in our family, are you a no-lid family or are you a lid family? Don't answer that. I can tell by your facial expressions right now. <laughs> The no-lid family, we say whatever we want whenever we want it. We're honest and transparent like that. You're right. You're also dysfunctional. <laughs> just because it needs to be said, there's a lot more the, that goes with it, right? It's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. That's right. But it's more than just how you say it. It's also when you say it. There's so many other dynamics around our words, which is what we want to look at this morning. Because I believe, I believe that if we are reckless with our words, we are going to wreck our families. If we are a little bit more wise with our words, then we are going to see a healthy, growing, we talked about a thriving family last week. Proverbs says it like this. Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs talks a lot about our words, especially in our, our family dynamics sometimes. It says, the words of the reckless, look at this, will pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. James chapter three talks a ton about words, but how our words actually direct us and lead us and guide us and steer us. So for our conversation this morning, we look at God's words, words steer your family. The words that you choose to speak and how you speak them and when you speak them and all the dynamics we're gonna look at this morning, words will steer your family. So if your family is in a place where you're like, man, we're, we're not in the greatest spot. I'm not saying this is the only thing to look at, but one of the first things you should look at is what are the words that we're using in our family? How are we talking to one another? Are we talking to one another? And if we are talking to one another, how are we speaking to each other? What words do we use? So that will steer your family. The words you use, I cannot say enough, will direct your family. So if you've got your Bible, head over to Exodus chapter 18, because we're going to see that played out. We're going to see a story within the context of a family dynamic, a very interesting family dynamic. We're actually going to be looking at some in-laws here, where something needs to be said. There's some truths that need to be told, but if not told in the right way and in the right context, man, this thing could just blow up. And so what we want to look for is not just the words that are spoken. Those are going to be pretty obvious. But what I would rather you pay attention to as we go through this story in Scripture, pay attention to all the other things that happen before these specific words are spoken. There's a lot of other things at work prior to getting to that one thing that needs to be said. One sentence is going to be spoken that is what needs to be said. There's a lot of other things that have to happen prior to that sentence being spoken. So Exodus chapter 18, story of Moses and his father-in-law named Jethro. If you've been in church, you might've heard uh, this story before. Let me give you a little context. 
Moses has already led God's people out of Egypt. So they're out of slavery in Egypt. They're not to the promised land yet. We haven't even gotten to the 10 commandments yet, but he's gotten them out of Egypt. They've only been wandering around the desert for a little while. They're still grumbling, but not majorly grumbling yet. But they're now looking to Moses, like he's their leader. God has chosen him. So Moses is in this weird transitional space of we're not in Egypt anymore. Now what do I do? So we're going to see even Moses struggle with a few things, but here's where we're going to pick it up in the context of the family. And again, we're paying attention not just to the words, but what happens leading up to it. Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 5. Jethro, which is Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness, which is where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, said, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and, your, and her two sons. So understand what's happening here. Most likely, if you were to read back through prior to the whole burning bush and that whole scene, most likely what had happened is when God did call Moses to go back to Egypt and to fight for his people and to lay the law down with Pharaoh and all of those things, he most likely, that would have been the time frame that he left his wife and his two sons with his father-in-law said, I need to go and deal with the most powerful man in the known world, probably not a safe place for my two kids and wife. So he sent his wife to be with her family, Jethro, the in-laws, while he went and took care of this stuff over in Egypt. Well, that stuff is now over. And so now father-in-law says, time to get your wife and kids out of my house. We married her off for a reason, Moses. She's still at my house. So he writes Moses and says, I'm on my way to see you and I've got your family with me. Understand what's happening? He had sent them away for probably very good reasons. Most of us would do something similar, I would imagine. But now that that time has passed, now it's time to reunite with his family. And Jethro's the one leading them to Moses. Here's what happens next, verse seven. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. Not something I've experienced with my father-in-law. I have a great father-in-law. We do have boundaries though. They greeted each other and then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, about all the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. So here, Moses is just, man, you won't believe what's happened. Check this out, look what God did. Verse nine, Jethro was, what's this word? What's it say? Say it with me. He was, he's delighted. He was amazed, he was full of joy, he was attentive, he was listening. Jethro was delighted to hear, key word there, if you wanna write notes or if you're wanting to circle it, I'll give you one more in a second. He was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. So here, Jethro's bringing Moses' family back to him and there's something that needs to be said. We haven't gotten there yet. Something needs to be said but the first thing that Jethro does is just he hears. He's just listening to Moses. Moses has a whole lot of things he wants to share, has a whole lot of things that he wants to say, helping Jethro experience what he had experienced as best as he could. And the only thing that Jethro has done at this point is listen. He was delighted and he celebrated with Moses. If you keep reading, now they, they have a meal together and Moses invites some of the other leaders of the nation to eat with them. And so now they're just spending time together. They're being together, but Jethro's done nothing to speak that sentence of truth yet. All he's done is listen. Here's what happens the next day. Verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning 
till evening. Let me give you a little context here. Remember, they're out of Egypt. They don't have the Ten Commandments yet. God's not led them to the promised land yet. So now, we're not talking a small group of people. We're talking a nation, an entire country, God's people, Israel. And when there's a problem, they go to Moses. When they need something, they go to Moses. When there's an issue, they go to Moses. You got it. So there's a lot riding on Moses's shoulders. And he's, again, he's in this weird transitional place where we're not in Egypt anymore, but we're not where God's leading us totally. So he's not even 100% sure what he's supposed to be doing in this moment. Look what happens next. Verse 14. When his father-in-law, Jethro, saw, keyword there, circle that one. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Did you notice what he did? Key word was Saul, or it was Saul, right? Started by hearing. He heard everything that God had done for Moses and his people. And the next day, Jethro still didn't say what needed to be said yet. He just saw what was going on. He just observed what was happening. And then he asked two questions, and this is key, because oftentimes we listen and we see, and then we speak, and then we point everything out. And here he listened, he saw, and he said, let me just ask some questions. And basically Jethro's two questions are, what are you really trying to accomplish, Moses? Like, what's the goal? Like, I, I just finished watching you from morning till night, just deal with person after person, relationship after relationship, dispute after dispute, issue and problem after another. He says, what are you really trying to accomplish here? What's the goal? Was this first question. The second follow-up question was, why is it just you? Like, why are they all coming to you? What are you trying to accomplish? And why is everybody just coming to you? Why are you the only one that they can go to? Just like any good son-in-law has a very good answer, a quick answer, in fact. Verse 15, well, Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Now, what I love about this answer is it's not really the answer to the question that Jethro asked, is it? <laughs> Remember, he said, well, what's the point? Why are you doing this? What's the accomplishment? What's the goal? Nowhere does he say that really. Well, why is it only you? And his answer to that question is, well, they just come to me. I'm like God's spokesperson. And then they come to me for this, and so I have to answer them. And then they come for me to this, and I have to help them. Nowhere in there does he really answer his questions, but he's got a quick answer. So the father-in-law finally does what a father-in-law should do at some point. Verse 17, here it is, you ready? Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. There it is. The father-in-law finally came out and said, son, what you're doing is not good. This is a bad idea. This isn't going to work. This isn't sustainable. Now there's what needed to be said, that one sentence of truth that needed to be said. And like in good father-in-law fashion for the most, most time, he goes on, verse 18. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice that you didn't ask for, and may God be with you. That last part is key. If you are a father-in-law, just whatever you tell your son, daughter-in-laws, just end it with, and may God, uh, may God be with you. And it just covers everything else. What you're doing's not good. Here's why. Here's what you really need to be doing, even though you didn't ask me for it, but may God be with you. 
I love that. I think it's great. Brilliant father-in-law. He's brilliant. But it needed to be said, didn't it? It absolutely needed to be said. So here's my question, and we're going to answer it as we look at the next verses here in a second. How was Jethro able to say what he said here and not get, like, punched in the nose by Moses? (laughs) Because put yourself in Moses' shoes for a second. Well, I talked with God through a burning bush. I was chosen out of every, no, God didn't pick you, Jethro, to go to Egypt. He chose me. I'm the one now leading an entire nation, not you. And you're going to tell me what's best? You're going to tell me what I need to do? Oh, we get some pride in there, don't we? If I'm in Moses' shoes, I'm thinking, who are you to tell me what to do? But notice the answer that Moses gives. Now, I'm going to skip over a bunch because that's just the father-in-law giving him details on exactly how to do what he's suggesting. You could read through it. Verse 24, here's Moses' response after he got the advice from his father-in-law. Verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Man, if you're a father-in-law, write that verse down because he figured it out. (laughs) You probably go, why won't they listen to me? Well, somehow Jethro figured it out. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. He chose capable men from all Israel, made them leaders of people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That was the suggestion. That was the advice that Jethro gave him. It says they served as judges around the people at all times, difficult cases they brought to Moses. But look at this. But all the simple ones they could do themselves. In other words, it's a leadership strategy. It's a leadership development. It's structure. He helped him organize his thoughts. Verse 27. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, like son-in-laws do, and Jethro returned to his own country. How did Jethro say a difficult truth, use words that needed to be said, in most cases would have blown up and caused family drama where we don't talk forever and you're not going to this family's dinner anymore because of this thing that was said 10 years ago and now, I mean, you know that family drama. It usually comes from a sentence like that. So how did Jethro say what needed to be said and it not turn into that? The other thing to notice here is verse 27. Don't miss it. After Moses listened to everything, he put these things into practice. Remember it said Moses sent his father-in-law, sent Jethro on his way and he went back to his own country. Was anybody going with Jethro on his way back home? No. See, when Jethro came to Moses, it said that he came with Moses' wife and sons. But when Jethro left, did the wife and sons go with Jethro or stay with Moses? Stayed with Moses. Remember what I said earlier, words will steer your family? That's what just happened here. And here's what I truly believe. I believe that what Jethro said and the way that he said it and the timing of which he said it and all the things that we're gonna talk about next literally saved Moses' family. I think what Jethro said, what needed to be said, but the way that he said it, I believe those words saved Moses' marriage. I think it saved his relationship with his kids. Because what kind of relationship would it have been if Jethro never showed up with the wife and the kids? Remember, it wasn't Moses said, okay, we're out of Egypt. Can you bring me my kids now? Because here's what I believe happened. Here's what I would imagine happening if I'm in Moses' shoes is, okay, wife, kids, you need to go be with the in-laws, be with your parents while I go and do this thing God's asking me to do in Egypt. It's not safe, understandable. And usually what we say, and we do this, when we're ready, then we can take care of this. 
So Moses is thinking, once we get done with this Egypt thing, then I'll send for you, we'll be a family again, I'll be a husband again, I'll be a good father again, I'll be ready for it. Well, they get out of Egypt and now what is he dealing with? He's dealing with people's problems from morning till night. And I would imagine he would have said something like, you know, we're just not there yet. Give me just a little bit longer. God's going to lead us to this promised land. He didn't know it was going to be 40 years at that point. Once we get to the promised land, then I'll call for my family. Then I'll have my kids with me. Then I'll have my wife. Have you noticed that happens in our life? That there's always something else and we keep kicking it down the road. I believe Moses was in the process of doing that. And Jethro said, no, 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 no. You're going to lose your family if you keep that up. Something needs to be said. Something needs to be changed. And Jethro inserted himself into it. So once again, let's ask the question, how did Jethro say what needed to be said without it blowing into some major family drama where he lost his family in the process? Instead, I believe Jethro saved his family because of what was said. Somehow, Jethro said what needed to be said without making a mess. There were some things that he put into practice, a lid, if you will, that allowed words to come out, but in a way that was helpful, beneficial, valuable, and life-changing. So let's go through those. Look through that progression again. When he started, remember the first thing, the key word there? He came and he heard everything that God had done. So he just listened. He started with listening and they spent time together. So what I would tell you, there are gonna be three questions that I think are gonna be good lids for you and your words and your family. The first one is asking yourself this question. Can I say it? Can I say it? In other words, have I earned the right to be heard? Have I earned the right to be heard? Have I built trust? Is the relationship solid? Again, so often we just, well, that's just the way our family is. We just say it like we see it. And you're gonna be cleaning up things for a very long time. Can I say it? Do I have a, relational, a relationship built? Do I have a foundation that is, has been cultivated over time? Is there trust that has been built? Can I actually say it? I mentioned that James speaks a lot about our words. James 1 verse, verse 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, keyword there, slow to speak and slow to become angry. We're being careful and cautious once again. It's, okay, let me listen first. I'm gonna be quick to listen. Take everything in and then I will start to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Jethro did not jump into, here's what you need to do. He didn't meet him and says, Jethro, here's your wife, here's your kids, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what you need to be doing. See you later. No, he came and he listened and he spent time with him and he heard all these great things and heard Moses tell the same story over and over and over again. They built that relationship. Can I say, have I earned that trust yet? Have I earned that right to speak into somebody's life yet? Second question, second lid to think through. Can they hear it? Can they hear it? I think this was probably the biggest thing regarding this dynamic between Jethro and Moses. Something needed to be said. They had a relationship, but is Moses gonna receive this well? And I get it. You can't fully be responsible for how everybody takes your words. I get that. There are things you can do that help that or make it worse. <laughs> so here Jethro's faced with a big problem of, I know something that needs to be said, but how do I say this and him not throw things at me? How do I say this? And it actually is heard, it's received. And what we see here is that observed part, right? He started to see things. He observed things. He just asked questions. You notice that, that he asked clarifying questions before he started offering suggestions. So he just asked some questions, trying to gauge what Moses' answer was, engaging in a conversation, 
instead of pointing a finger and, and telling everything. Let me give some insight into how we can help them get ready to hear it. Because if we're asking, can they hear it? Here's how we can do that. Colossians chapter three, verse 12 through 13. Now this is not speaking in the context of words, but there's a biblical principle here that's gonna help us understand how we do that. Paul writes this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, and there's gonna be a list. I want you to read that list with me. Clothe yourselves with, say it, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Stop there for a second. That list are great qualities for us to have. But here's what you need to understand about those qualities. Those are for us to do, but check this, for someone else. So when I am compassionate, it's for the benefit of somebody else. When I am kind, it's for the benefit of somebody else. When I am humble, it's to lift somebody else up. You see how this is working? When I am patient, it is for the, most definitely, you're not gonna argue with me on that one. It is for the benefit of somebody else. He goes on and says, bear with one another. That's a hard thing to do. But when I bear with one another, that's for the benefit of somebody else. When I forgive somebody, that's for the benefit. Right, so those qualities that were listed, here's what those do. They meet people where they are at, not where you are at. So Jethro showed up probably ready to just tell Moses, here's what needs to happen. It'd been a lot faster that way. But he said, you know what, I need to meet Moses where he's at. So he went with him, didn't he? In order to observe and see what Moses was doing, he had to have followed Moses over there. He must have sat at least in the vicinity of Moses and watched this whole ordeal happen from morning till evening. He had to meet Moses where he was at. And then he had to ask some questions. Help me understand, Moses. Where are you at right now? That's the bottom line question. So often when we speak words, we speak words where we are at, not where they are at. So can I say it? Have I built trust? Have I earned the right to be heard? Can they hear it? Am I meeting them where they are at? Here's the third lid. Should I say it? Should I say it? Kind of an obvious one. Don't miss the first two, but should I say it? Ephesians 4.29, if you've ever heard any kind of biblical message on words and speech, this one should come up. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Don't stop there. What is helpful for building others up according to, look at this, their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's not always for me, it is for them. So should I say it? The filter is, is it beneficial for them? Can I say it? I've got the trust. Are they able to hear it? Well, I've, I've been with them clarifying questions, but does it benefit them? Is it helpful for them? Does it grow them? Does it direct them? Where does it steer them? If words steer the ship of our lives, well, where's that one gonna steer them? Is it beneficial? So as you think through the words that we use daily with our family, spouse, kids, parents, in-laws. First of all, lid or no lid? No lid, sure, it's a lot easier. You do whatever you want. You don't worry about it. You get burned in the process. There's a lot of messes to clean up and your stage smells like coffee for the rest of the day. <laughs> but you say, you know what? I wanna be beneficial. I wanna be helpful. So if I put a lid on, words are still gonna come out, but it's gonna be the right things at the right time, said in the right way. I tell you to write this verse down. I think this is gonna be a, maybe even your family verse for the week, maybe longer. Psalm chapter 141, verse three. I would tell you to make this your prayer because putting a lid on our words, I'll be honest, ready? 
you might not be able to actually do that, truly. And, and that's not, that's not our, uh, just an off-the-cuff thing. That, you might seriously, I mean, the way you were raised or the, the, the culture that you've been in, the job that you have, the people that you're around, the habits that you now have, you might literally say, man, I, I don't think I can do that lid thing well with my words. Okay, that's why you have this prayer. Because at some point you need Jesus to come in and say, I'm gonna help you. If you've noticed anything about the Christian life, it's you can't do it on your own. You need other people, and most importantly, you need Jesus in your life. So here's the prayer. God set a guard over my mouth. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> in other words, I don't have the self-control or the restraint to say, to, to hold this back. So Lord Jesus, if you're real, you better make my mouth so shut. <laughs> Put a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In other words, help me say the right things at the right time in the right way. Let me give you a really practical way to start living that prayer out. And for some of you, it is gonna be an act of God if this happens this next week. I get it. You ready for this one? No sarcasm for seven days. Get it all out right now. Just get it all out. You've got about five more minutes. Get it all out. But when you walk out this door, would you commit to no sarcasm for seven days? Here's why I say that. Sarcasm at its root meaning means to strip flesh. Literally, go back to the Latin root and Greek, Greek roots. It means to strip flesh. So it doesn't just annihilate you all at once. It just slowly strips away. It will erode your marriage over time. It will erode your relationship with your kids over time. But it was really funny. Maybe. I would ask you, is it worth it? Would you, have a healthy, would you rather have a healthy, thriving relationship and family or get some laughs every now and then? It's not worth it, folks. It's not worth it. Well, that's just how we talk and change how you talk. <laughs> Can I say it? Can they hear it? Should I say it? And Jesus, when I can't do that on my own, I need you to step in. Think back over the words that have been spoken to you and in your life. Teachers, parents, friends, spouse. The words that have been spoken into your life that changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe it was an encouragement, maybe it was a challenge. We could all probably go around the room and pinpoint a few people that said a few key things in our life that literally changed our lives. Begin to think through the words that you're currently using with your family. I said it again, lid or no lid right now. What needs to change? What words need to be said? What words need to not be said? What words need to be said, but maybe in a different way? Maybe timing's just all off right now. What are the words that you're using with your family? What needs to be said? Now let me switch gears a little bit. What words has Jesus spoken into your life? What words has Jesus spoken to you? Not necessarily audibly, I'm talking about through his words. Here, words like, I'll always be with you. Words like, I'll never leave you. Words like, I've got this. Words like, I'm bigger than this. Words like, be still. Words like, where's your faith? Words like, yes, you're gonna have troubles, but I'm gonna give you peace. Words like, yes, I care about you more than you'll ever know. Words like, I love you, I forgive you, we'll go to the cross for you. 
Maybe the most powerful words that Jesus spoke for us is, it is finished. What he did on the cross took it all. Let me do one more thing. What words are you speaking to Jesus? What words are you speaking to Jesus? If those words that Jesus speak into our lives bring us such life and literally change the course of our lives in this life and for eternity in the next, what words are we now speaking to him? Romans chapter nine says this. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice it's not just heart. Heart is a great part of it, but it's something has to be vocalized as well. Oh, if there's that much power in our words, imagine what will happen in your family when you use words that bring life. We've been talking a lot about this idea of orange. And if you weren't here last week, let me catch you up real quick. Let me put a picture of yellow on the screen. There's yellow. Yellow is is, is the, the light of the world. Yellow is our faith. Yellow is Jesus for the Sunday school answer, right? And that's important. And we do a lot of that on Sunday. That's why we sing praises and we hear from God's word. We do a lot of that on Sundays. Red represents family, love, home, heart, No one can love your family better than you in this life, in this world. And what we tend to do is we separate those. This is my faith. This is my family. This is Sunday. This is all those other days. You can't say that in church. (laughs) We try to separate them, don't we? But instead, the idea of going orange is saying, no, 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 it's one life. And it's messy and we don't get it right all the time, but it's not Sunday and the other days, it's all the time. So orange is living that faith in your family and throwing them all together all the time. So the orange commitment is saying, if we're going orange, we are doing church as a family. We are committing to church as a family and Jesus as a family. But we're also inviting Jesus into our family. They're not separate, they're together. And the words that we speak here still bring life during the week in your family as well. So let's do this. If you'll just close your eyes right where you're at, I think words need to be exchanged between you and the Lord to recognize the words that he has spoken to you. Maybe just reflect on that for a minute. I love you, I forgive you, I'm with you, I'll give you peace. I'm not leaving you. Maybe there's some words you need to say to Jesus. Forgive me, I need you, I trust you. For the first time, I'm gonna follow you. Once again, I'm gonna follow you again and again. Help me. Jesus, we come before you recognizing the power of the words that you have spoken to our lives and the power that our words bring in our relationships and in our families. Jesus, the the praise that we give on Sunday, may we continue that throughout the week. The words of life that we've gotten from you, may we turn that around and breathe those words into our family, into our kids, into our spouse, into our extended families and our parents and our siblings and everybody we come in contact with. Jesus, help us to follow you wholeheartedly. But may we be part of life change for other people just because of the words that we speak. So help us. Help us to have the right lid on our words. Can we say it? How will they hear it? And should we say it? But in this moment, we just give you our words. You have our hearts. You also have our words. In Jesus' name. Amen.